1: It started in a garage in Canterbury, Connecticut, 36 years ago, and today it's a multi-million dollar business. We talked to George and Eric Matten of Matten Construction about the success of their company. Plus, we take a look at other stories, making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott Smith. On this Labor Day weekend edition, what better topic to discuss than the nation's workers? And we're keeping it local with an interview with father and son team, George and Eric Matten of Matten Construction, one of the region's top construction companies. It was back in 1987 that George Matton started the company from his home office, and well, since then it's gone from strength to strength. I caught up with George and Eric recently at their offices to get more of the story. Welcome to Connecticut East this week, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, good morning. So, George, I'm going to kick off with you because this year, 2023, marks 36 years that you started Matton Construction. Tell us about it because I looked at the website and there was a sweet little story. It said that you started it with just a pickup truck and a vision.
2: Yes, that is accurate. Yeah, I like to be involved in building things. At the time, I was working for another construction company and they were a great company, but I wanted to work for myself. And I had the opportunity to work on one project. It was a barn in North Stonington. From that point on, I liked being in business and I had some relationships that I'd created before I left the other company and relationships that I created after I left the other company. And I was able to continue on, add people, do more work, and things just continue to grow until today.
1: Was construction in the like in the family business, or was it just something that you wanted to do? Because often so like we're driven in that direction because somebody in the family does it.
2: My dad had an excavation company when I was a very little boy, and he opted for a little more security and went to work at Electric Boat. But when I was a kid, we always built things, sometimes with my dad, sometimes with my friends. So building things was something I did from the time I was very young.
1: It very quickly sort of like moved along, didn't it, after you started it? Tell us about that, because, I mean, you moved from... Canterbury, which is where it all started, which was basically in your garage, wasn't
2: it? Uh, Actually, yeah, the the tools were in the garage, and the office was in the basement. And we shared the space with the washer and the dryer. Sometimes it was noisy, and we had room for one other employee. And we worked there for about a year before we moved to a more permanent office in Preston, Connecticut. A rented space. We didn't own it. But it was interesting when we had business phone calls, if one of the kids picked the phone up, it sounded like I had a young receptionist, and we had a vendor visit one day, and we had no space in the house to, the house was very small, and no space for him to come inside to really lay out his wares and show us what he did. So we met at the picnic table out in the yard. So it was very casual, very informal, because I just didn't have any resources
1: to do much more than that. And of course, ultimately, um, the business found itself to where it is today, where we're recording from. If people can hear a little bit of noise in the background, we are at the offices of Matten Construction in Baltic. Uh, beautiful offices as well. And I want to turn to you, Eric, because your dad's just told us a little bit about how it all started. What do you remember of it as well?
0: Those early days, I was young enough that I don't remember too much of the, uh, the basement and garage business side of things. I do remember that first office in Preston, it being very small And, uh, in fact, my father and and one of our other team members who's here now, Jill Babcock, were both in that office, so we've still got familiar faces from the very beginning. There was one additional stop, a, a slightly bigger office in Preston just down the street from that first one, and then here was 99 or 2000? 2000, yeah. Yeah. So I'd say uh, stronger memories are from that, that second office. In fact, there's a picture out in the lobby on the wall of me with, a I think, a paintbrush or something in my hand out in front of that. I think I put my first nail through my hand on the roof of that building. But then we moved here. I was a teenager when the business moved here. I've got some fond memories of stripping the roof off of this building and some of the early days of being on payroll and the, as my father would call them, character building projects that I would get involved in. So, in, in fact, this morning I was just having a conversation with a client. For him, it was an uncle who was in the business who who brought him into it. And the stories came up about uncle, your father, whomever is the owner of the business or an authority in the business. And they think, well, you're the boss's kid, the, the uncle's kid. You guys have it easy. And really, that's not the case. In fact, it's the opposite. You have to work twice as hard and you get the worst jobs to do that on for the sake of, of
1: building character and seeing if you want to stick around. So- I was going to say, I mean, my dad owned a much smaller construction company back in the UK and uh, nowhere near as big as, as Matting Construction. And yeah, I used to get all those little jobs to do sort of thing. And as you say, it is character building. But what's it like working with family? Because sometimes it can be tough.
0: Yeah, I guess here it's not like the TV shows, but maybe that's why we don't have as much drama here or, or really any at all. And my father and I get along very well as, as father and son and as business partners. So, yeah, boy, I'm trying to think other than I'm probably a little bit more liberal with uh, the spending of, of company <laughs> resources. But I, I balance that with not being that stereotypical second generation that drives a business into the ground. So hopefully found a happy balance.
2: And outside of that, we get along very well. I've always been pretty conservative because I started with, with a pencil, and I've always been cautious about spending money and watching every cost. And Eric has done a, he does a good job of watching costs, but still building the company and growing the company with the realization that you have to spend some money to make some money. And I've always been sort of there, but not completely. So he's, he, his corporate
1: life, has, I think, did him very well. It, it is an industry which is known for having sometimes some tight margins and also, obviously, supplies. I mean, things like you know lumber can go up and down in price and all sorts of things. And then suddenly, you know, what you've estimated or quoted for, if you suddenly have a jerk in the market and something like you know, copper or something like that suddenly explodes in price, you can find yourself in a bit of a situation. So I can sort of understand why you know, as you say, coming from that background of starting from nothing, that there was that cautiousness to you?
2: Yeah, right. I'm I'm more conservative than Eric is, but I don't know if I necessarily have to be, but it's my nature, so I can't get away from it. I'm a saver. People here laugh at me. Some of the things that I save at the end of a job, they say, just throw that stuff away. I just can't do it. It's not my nature. So even though it's probably not the best thing to do, I'm a bit of a saver, and I'm a little more conservative than Eric is, but his vision is going to make the company much better in the future.
0: And to add to that, you know, we're... We're not going to step over a dollar to pick up a penny here, but that philosophy from the beginning of everybody doing their part to save a little bit and improve profitability is still something every day that's, that's driven home, field and office both. The more efficiently we work by being able to save, it saves money for our customers, it saves money for us. Helping our vendors save money, it's, it's the name of the game because you're exactly right. The margins are oftentimes not terribly healthy and we need to do whatever we can to protect those to make sure we can provide the service we say we're going to and still make money to be in business
1: so as we said at the top of the uh, interview eric you are the president now of Matt and construction dad george retired a while ago how difficult was that to do george
2: i'm not quite there yet uh <laughs> it's in transition but i am able now Some of the day-to-day things that weren't... I like to build things. And some of the things that you have to do as a president here aren't as exciting to me. So I'm able now to spend a bit more time in the field to work shoulder-to-shoulder with some of the guys in the field and work on projects, which I like to do. So I'm free from the day-to-day things that Eric has now taken over, and I like that. And I'm not ready to stop working, but I'll work more in the field and a little less in the office
1: going forward. And Eric taking over the reins of Dad's empire...
0: So behind the scenes, it was kind of happening before the transition, which was that was effective the beginning of the year. But slowly over the past few years, it it kind of been transitioning that way. But yeah, if he's retired, he's the busiest retired guy I've, I've seen. So he's still very active working on a number of jobs. But in in ways that are more fun and then the the stuff that he's been doing for 30 years here, I've picked up the reins and I'm running with that. But I enjoy it. It's it's fun. We're in the business of building things, buildings, renovating buildings, structures. But it's a relationship business also. And it's relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with everybody on the team here, the community. So it's business of building, but also a business of people.
1: What's interesting about Matt and Construction, again, when I was doing the research, is you are this big company known for doing these incredible projects. And we're going to be talking about some of those later in the interview. But you also do smaller jobs as well. You will actually do the job for, say, mum and papa and, and that. Is that usual for so like, a company of your size? I'm guessing it's it's not the mainstay of the business, but it's, it seems a little unusual for such a big company to still say, hey, yeah, we'll come and do your window or something like that.
0: I don't know if it's usual. Uh, it's probably, a, I've heard from some that, that same comment, boy, you guys, you don't say no to, to some of these smaller projects. And sometimes we do, sometimes we're just not a fit. And we explain that, you know, we are a business with some overhead that we can't offer the most competitive option, but the philosophy behind always being willing to consider those smaller projects is because it goes back to my previous comment about relationships. It's maintaining our relationship with a customer who may have 30 or 40 years worth of those little projects over time that we can help them with. Or they may have a, a larger project that comes up over time. Or they may be able to spread the word in the community that, you know, hey, Mattern was able to come and help me replace a couple doors. And then you're building a, a new building. Why don't you give them a shot? So it's more than just that little project. It's really continuing to build the brand and, and our presence in the construction community.
1: And George, how important was it to have, I'm going to call it an iconic brand, because to me, I think it's quite iconic. I mean, to have this such well-known brand, which obviously has such a good reputation, how important was that for you? For me, very.
2: Yeah, I, I think reputation is very, very important to successful a business. And it's just, the, again, it's another one of those things, I'm a conservative person, but I also take pride in doing the right thing for people, making them happy. Uh, hopefully we make money when we do it. We almost always do, but not always, but that's okay. As long as we do the right thing for somebody, like doing a small project for somebody, that's one of the best forms of advertising we can have, in my opinion, to do the right thing for people, no matter whether it works out well for us or not, but to do the right thing and to take on those tasks that people want done. You know, it's not just friends and family, but it's potential customers that we'll work for and do small things for. So I think reputation is very important, and we've done a, a real good job of maintaining it. We're not perfect. We have made some mistakes, but we will always come back and fix them. That's one thing, one advantage of being around for so long. We've seen so many things and done so many things. That if there are any issues, we can fix them and make them right.
1: A lot of services that you offer here as well, I'm just looking through. We're not going to go into all of them, but uh, I mean, so like design building and general contracting and construction management. You've got a big team of people behind all of this, haven't you? Because... Clearly, it's not just a two-person job.
0: Not at all. And the team here is about 35 people and and actually growing, which is great. You know, it's reflective of demand for our services. But the team is also comprised of non-staff individuals. So Design Build, for example, we've got a great network of architects and engineers and consultants that we can bring on. A customer comes to us and says... We want to build this we have no idea where to start so we we can offer as a professional service some guidance through that process from idea all the way to project close out if that's the level of service they need and then through our subcontractor network our supplier network there's a whole lot of services we can provide there too for you know other projects that may not be full full design build the sort of joke is, you know, if you need us to walk your dog, we'll do it. But, you know, it's, it's not really a joke as far as if a customer comes to us and says, is there a way we can work together on this? We try to find a way to make it happen.
1: Looking at just some of the jobs that you've done, it's a real mix. Let's delve into some of these because they're extraordinary, some of these projects that you've done. Gillette Castle, well-known, obviously, in eastern Connecticut. Talk to us about that, because that's an historic building. I'm sure it comes with its unique set of challenges. Talk us through that, George, if you would, a little bit.
2: Sure. One of the challenges, I got to know the the castle very well. We've done some projects here, and I've been involved in a couple of other ways. But one of the challenges, obviously, is it has to look authentic. Whatever's done there has to fit right in as if it were never done. Our first big project there was a retaining wall that had collapsed at the entrance of the castle. Very obvious to anybody who visited. And the challenge there was that wall had to be put back and make it look like it was never taken down. Big challenge. We had the right team to to put together to do the job, and it looks terrific today. And since, we've done a couple of the stonework projects. We just finished one recently. And in all three projects we've done most recently, everything looks like it was never changed and never touched. It looks authentic. You'd never know work was done recently.
1: Sometimes, of course, you can reuse and recycle materials if they're not so degraded. But what happens in something like a a stonework situation where you've got a a big loss maybe of materials and you have to try and either find and match it? Talk us through that that because that must be a challenge in its own.
2: Very good question. First job, rebuilding the retaining wall. We built a concrete wall as a backup for the retaining wall. We took the original stones, broke them in half. So we had nearly twice as much stone as we started and that's how we were able to overcome the issue of lost material or broken material, whatever. So that was the architect's vision was to double the amount of material by breaking it in half so it could be used, and it worked out well. And in the second project we did, it was existing stone that had to be taken down and placed on the ground in exactly the same location it came from in the ceiling of this, called the portico, and put back in the exact same location. So all the stones had to be taken down, positioned, numbered, and put back in the exact same location we rebuilt things. And, and it worked out well. You'd never know, looking at it,
1: there was anything done. You must be, I mean, obviously it has to be done. There's that. That's obvious. But you must be incredibly proud when you see these projects finished. And like you said, you can't tell the difference, but you know what's gone into this. Yes.
2: Yeah. In fact, I feel pretty good about the fact that I, I've been to the castle quite a bit recently. I feel pretty good about the fact that I look at that wall, and I think that wall's been there for 100 years, but I know it's only been there for three or four years. Proud of the work we do, and proud of the team we put together to do it.
1: Let's talk about another extraordinary project. We all know Foxwoods Casino, and you were part of the High Flyer Zipline. <laughs> did you try it? I'm terribly embarrassed to say I haven't been down
0: it. So, And it, it's not one of the cases of the, the cook not wanting to eat their cooking. It's just been a, a matter of misconnections for me going down it. But I think most of the people here involved were invited and did use the Zipline before the grand opening. So I did actually... Get to work on it though and that was a uh, it was an all hands on deck build especially towards the end the the timeline was tight and there was a lot of steel that had to be moved up to the tower and and most people would probably look at that and just assume the steel got up there somehow it wasn't by crane it was all by hand and very creatively done to get some big pieces of steel heavy pieces of steel up there so i did have the the pleasure of having a few mornings start up on top of the tower It was a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to drive by and know that my hands have been on some of that steel and i will get down it someday i'm so embarrassed to say i haven't been
2: (laughs) and and as eric points out that steel if you look at that structure hard to tell because it's 30 stories up so you really can't tell how big it is but it's probably the size of uh little trailer trucks put together and all that steel had to be taken up an elevator through a stairwell and through a couple of doors that people walk through—not overhead doors, not large doors—through doors that people walk through and out onto the roof and then put in place. So all that steel that you see from the ground all came through a door that a human would walk through. Eric was involved in moving moving some of it. So were a lot of the people here. But that was quite a challenge. So, again, if you ever ride it or if you ever take a look at it from the ground, it's hard to, to get a feel for how big it is. But everything up there, nothing could be lifted but by a crane. It just wouldn't work out logistically. So everything had to be taken through an elevator that people use and
1: through a door that people walk through. Again, the sort of stuff that people just wouldn't know about. But like you said, they see it. But yeah, so they don't know what's, you know, as I say, they don't know what's what's going on behind it. You know, some of this stuff is incredibly labour intensive, isn't it? Also, again, let's talk about another very historic building. It's an old textile mill, Panema Mills Towers. Looks beautiful. If anyone's driven past, it looks absolutely amazing. You guys were part of that as well. Talk to us a little bit about that. Because again, 1800s, it dates back so far and now it's been... Repurposed into these beautiful apartments.
2: Yes, yeah, and it was in. We worked on the two towers you see, very obvious when you drive by Panema. And one lucky thing for us in that project, when we talk about the zip line, I'm not sure we'll ever build another zip line. Not that we wouldn't, but that opportunity doesn't come along every day. It's not very often that we get to do the same thing twice and we get much better at it the second time. In the case of the two towers at Panema, we did the first one, it worked out fine. And then they said, well, you did a good job in this. How about doing the second one? And at that point, we knew very well what had to be done, and it was much easier the second go-round. And both came out very nice. And you're right, our project was from the top of Brick Up, which is a big undertaking, and it was in real tough shape. In some cases, huge holes through the roof that had to be repaired, but if we put it all back together with good material, that should last a long time.
1: Any jobs you didn't get that you wished you had? Oh, gosh.
0: So that, when I... When I first came back to the office, Brian, I, I or came into the office for the first time, it was in an estimating. And with any sort of competitive nature, if you're bidding against other people to win a job, you want to win them all. Obviously, we couldn't do them all. But I would say probably too many to speak of. It, it seemed that there was one year I remember, it seemed like we were the, the only bidder on a number of jobs. And after pouring over the estimate, you know, late nights, early mornings, weekends, and our bid would get tossed out because we were the only bidder um, just because, you know, per regulations, they had to have multiple bids and, and that sort of thing. I would say there's dozens and, and none that really, I don't think any that jump out on me. But we joke with our estimated department that they are the engine room of of what we do here. The revenue starts in there. And it is one of the most thankless positions that you can have because you have to pour over these plans and specs and put together a competitive bid that beats everybody else but doesn't leave any money on the table and don't miss anything. So make it perfect and then you submit it all and then you have to forget about it. It, it just all, all that hard work, it, it just goes away. You might get it, you might not, but you have to
1: move on to the next. So, we've got an exciting project coming up. You're getting a brand new headquarters, the former YMCA building in the city of Norwich. Tell us a little bit about that because I know it's taken quite a while for it to, you know, to come around. There's still a lot of work to do, but why did you want to take that on? If
0: you ask most people, they, it starts with "Are you guys crazy?" So um, it could be a little bit of that for us. But so we were actually discussing expanding our headquarters here, and then Lucas Stroud, our business development director, mentions you know familiarity with that space, and what do you think? And and we started kicking the idea around, and. It made sense. My father and I were both members there. It had been a while since we had been inside. It's pretty bad inside as it stands today. And I think for us, one thing that's that helps us out and maybe dulls a little bit of that craziness is, is we work in this every day. We, we manage challenging projects every day. For us, it's another project. It's gonna have its
1: challenges. George, I'm going to give the final words to you. As we said, 36 years this year, as you look back over 36 years of this business and as it continues, obviously under the leadership of Eric here, could you ever have imagined it would have been this successful? And how proud are you of, of what it is that you and Eric and the team are doing?
2: Very glad the way it worked out. I never really had a, any kind of goal except to be successful to do a good job. I thought by doing that, the business would grow if there was a need for our kind of services. If not, we'd have stayed as a smaller business. And it really had any kind of vision for any kind of size for the business. It needed Eric to come in and move it forward and take it to another level. Uh, I did get things started, but I I certainly didn't finish them. Uh, he, He or somebody beyond him will do that.
1: Well, Eric and George Matten of Matten Construction, continued success. We look forward to seeing, obviously, the new headquarters at the former YMCA building in Norwich when it is finished. But thank you both for joining us on Connecticut East this week.
0: Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Brian. It's hurricane season, and your trees can be damaged by high winds. Green Valley Tree has you covered with our emergency tree service outside of our regular business hours. We offer emergency tree service by bucket, crane, and climbing for residential, commercial, and even municipalities across eastern Connecticut. From full tree removals, uprooted, or broken trees, to broken, hung up, or fractured tree limbs. Call our emergency hotline on 860-966-5710 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com.
1: Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. Yale University and advocacy group Eli's for Rachel have reached a court settlement relating to policies and practices impacting students with mental health disabilities. The group and two Yale students brought the case late last year claiming the school was discriminating against students with mental health issues, pressuring them to withdraw from the prestigious school and then placing unreasonable burdens on them seeking to be reinstated. Dr. Alicia Floyd is a co-founder of Eli's for Rachel and a former Yale student and said the university has heard them.
3: Retaining access to campus while you're on leave, retaining access to Yale employment while you're on leave, and that includes remote employment that's critical for low-income students, and also continuity of health care. So you don't feel like you're just cast out by the university when you have to leave because you've had a mental health struggle. You feel like you're still a part of the community and that's really essential because isolation just leads to despair.
1: Floyd said part of the overall agreement was for Yale to also make the process of re-entry easier.
3: One thing students have really emphasized is how confusing the process is and how nobody seems to know how to guide them through the maze of policies and offices involved in taking time off. Yale has now actually designated as part of the settlement a time away resource to be the point person and we hope this person is going to be a proactive one-stop shop for a student who is for example just coming out of the hospital and needs guidance rather than getting bounced around through office after office.
1: Eli's for Rachel was founded after first-year student Rachel Short-Rosenbaum's death by suicide in 2021 at Yale and had written about her fears of being forced to withdraw shortly before her death. Childcare agencies and local leaders in Connecticut are calling on the federal government to help deal with a child care crisis across the state and the nation. Since the COVID pandemic, child care has become more expensive and less accessible due to staffing shortages and increased costs. Meryl Gay is the executive director of the nonprofit Connecticut Early Childhood Alliance and said a recent survey they carried out had startling results.
0: Staff need to get paid more to stay afloat themselves and have many more opportunities of other places to go, and parents can't afford to pay more. You know, if you look at the market rate for preschool and infant toddler care, if you've got one of each, it's $31,000 to pay for market rate child care. That's more than what people
1: are paying for a mortgage. The Alliance survey of 227 childcare-based programs in the state showed less than a third of childcare centres had a positive cash flow and over 70% of centres were short-staffed, meaning they were unable to provide services as they do not meet state-mandated staff ratios of one person for every 10 children. Mayflexa is a state senator for the 29th district and says the state and the federal government needs to do more.
0: How critical access to childcare is, how it's keeping people out of the workforce now, how childcare providers are having such a hard time maintaining their staff because they can't compete with all of these other industries who also have vacancies and they can just charge more. The childcare industry can't charge families any more than they already are. It's just a completely
1: broken system." U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal has joined colleagues to urge President Biden to invest $16 billion to alleviate the child care crisis and pass new laws that would invest a further $25 billion over the next 10 years to fund child care in the country and to cap child care costs for families in need to just $10 a day. As kids prepare to go back to school, Connecticut libraries say they're ready to help their eager minds learn. Edwin J. Vieira of the Connecticut News Service has this report. In addition to vast catalogs of books and films, libraries across the state provide access to academic tools like Khan Academy, FactMonster, and Tutor.com. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, many libraries
3: have also worked to bring people together through different programs like book clubs. Scott Jarzombek with the Connecticut Library Association says newer programs are starting to focus on bridging the digital
1: divide.
0: In communities where e-governance has become so important, which is using technology from doing everything from checking your child's grades to signing up for a building permit, making sure that everybody in our community has access to the internet and the equipment to be a part of our community.
3: He notes there are a lot of programs being launched this fall at Connecticut libraries. They include game nights, knitting groups, and other weekly activities. People can find more information on their local library's events calendar. I'm Edwin J. Vieira.
1: And the Eastern Connecticut State University Foundation Incorporated has received one of the largest estate gifts in the university's history with upwards of $500,000 from the Everett W. Yaps estate. The gift is being used to fund the Wendy Taylor and Everett W. Yaps Memorial Endowed Scholarship, which is being presented for the first time this year. Yaps, who passed away in 2020, joined his wife Wendy in wanting to support music students at Easton. Wendy graduated from Easton at the age of 15, with a degree in business administration, later earning a second bachelor's degree in music in 1987. Music major Aidan Reese of Stafford Springs is the scholarship's first recipient, which is awarded to students who have demonstrated a commitment to pursuing the study and performance of classical music. Reese said he was honored to be recognized and to receive the first scholarship. Easton's chair of the Department of Music, Anthony Cornicello, said they plan to offer the award to outstanding incoming students to draw them to Easton and help them through their four years at the school.